On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Ta-da! There we are. We're all here. Okay. Are you ready? I don't know if you're ready. How's everybody doing from last week? Everybody okay after the Good Samaritan? Okay, that was, that was a doozy. I saw a lot of eyeballs out just kind of going, whoa, uh, we're talking about this. Yes, we are. Today is, uh, we're getting into emotionally healthy spirituality. Today is the final teaching on this. I want to open up chapter 8. We, we, we have finished reading up to chapter 7. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to be, I'm going to kind of open up chapter eight to us this morning. Uh, and I want to dig into that with us this morning. So, uh, I pray, I've been praying, uh, that we are ready to finish well, to finish this journey. We've been in this book talking about our iceberg spirituality, right? There are some powerful, very powerful distractions that are happening in our lives. And, and I think they're ripping apart the church, quite honestly, uh, our emotional health is under a full-scale attack, and that is why, as again, as we finish EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, we're, we've been trying to narrow our focus, so to speak. I, I want to I bring that into, into focus because I'm trying to transform all the stuff that nobody sees. I'm pretty well-behaved in public. It's just what's happening in private, and what's happening in private isn't so well-behaved. And so it's this unseen stuff that's the, that's the real problem. It's that, that stuff that's deep beneath the surface of our lives. And so here's what happens is we begin to live off of other people's religion, other people's spirituality. We begin to parrot what we hear, but it's not really happening in our lives. It's what I call taking a piece of plastic fruit and kind of duct taping it on our own tree. That's not even real fruit, and, and it's not yours to begin with, right? right? We, we get a lot of head knowledge, but we don't have practical experience. What are we doing with it? We can repeat a lot of things. I can go through and I can recite scripture. Oh, I know that scripture, I know that scripture, I know that scripture. How many times have we had that moment where someone says, I know, I know, and your response is, well, if you know, then why? Or you just say that in the mirror, right? I know that's where mine most often happens. Well, if you know, Walker, what are you going to do about it, right? Our fears, unfortunately, are controlling, are causing us to be controlling, We're afraid, and so we move into a controlling posture. We become possessive. I have to control this thing. I have to be over this thing. And our prayers are, they consist of asking God to conform to our will. Hey, Lord, I need you to do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. I want this. I want that. I need you. And so our prayers are about us, as opposed to the way Jesus taught us. I'd really like this to go differently. However, your will, not mine. And that's a powerful prayer. There are so many diversions in our world that are screaming at us. Right? Listen to me! Look at me! Everything. And so we spend more time in Wordle than we do in the Word. We're more committed to Jack Ryan's safety than our own. It's like, oh, I got got to keep on track. What about this? And I think the Lord is looking to his people. There is this crazy combination of what I would call capitalism, technology, and modern communications that has created this set of 
cultural core values. Our culture says, this is what we value. And it's a combination of these things, but I think they're destroying us. Convenience, an overabundance of options, trying to save time by multitasking. And so we started a whole bunch of stuff and nothing really got finished, right? We're writing numerous comfort prescriptions without care. I'm going to comfort myself this way. I'm going to comfort myself this way. We're entertaining ourselves to sleep. Now we are super skeptical in our pursuit of happiness. And it's all led to one thing, narcissism. We're, we, we are having a hard time with this one. Independence. Instant gratification. Image management. Approval cravings. And the, the comparison trap that comes with it. Those unfamiliar with this big word, here's the definition of narcissism. The excessive interest in or admiration of oneself. Forget about physical appearance. I just want people to know about me. And so when people talk to me, I talk about me. And when we get into a conversation, it always comes back to me. And you're thinking, well, I know a lot of people who are like that, but not me. Well, maybe. I think this is kind of running through our DNA. I, I don't know what happened, but our, our culture, these things that are coming, that's happening in our culture, I think it's happening to the church too. It's all about me. Our culture has moved. Our culture has moved from community to commodity. Our culture has moved from contribution to consumption. I'm just taking. I'm not bringing anything to the table. We are more focused on rights than on responsibilities. Personal preference is now the priority. What I want, when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, and with who I want it. This is, this is the priority at all costs. I don't care who I hurt. This is about me. There is a scarcity mindset, and that's when people start making decisions about their lives, their relationships, their income, without thinking about the ramifications down the road. I'm just going to do this. I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't even thought about what this means tomorrow. The long-term repercussions. And then when they come, they go, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. We should have thought of that way back over here. Sadly, much of what I'm talking about has infected the church. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he says, Jesus set us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Jesus has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Watch this. And don't get tied up again in slavery. And then he adds with to the law. But just call it slavery. I've been set free. Stay that way. It's like I've been set free and then I get myself back into bondage. And unfortunately, the church in the U.S. that I love has got its own problems. We function between a, a combination of anything goes. Well, this is what we do at our church and, and, and this is what we do at our church and our church does this. And we're like, wow, where's all that coming from? All the way over to uh, what, what I would call an orthodox religious legalism. 
You can't, you can't, we don't, they don't, we don't, we don't. They, it's all on the negative. And, and the world right now is so convinced of what we don't believe in, what we don't support, that what we are not for, that they don't know what we are for. Oh, the church. And because it's this weird combination of they're against this, they're against this, they're against that, they don't like this, they don't like that. And, and look at that church. That one's kind of weird. Is that a church too? Because it's nothing like that one. So many different beliefs. The world is left scratching their head. There is so much distortion. There's no more distinction. Where's the church? Where, where, where's the church? The distinction between the people who, I'll just put it loosely, the people who attend church and those who don't. What's the difference on how we handle our sexuality, our finances, our addictions, our morals, our ethics? What's the difference? We're, we're engaged in all the things they're engaged in. And somewhere something has to change because this meltdown of Christian behavior it's, there's, there's a fallout that is beyond nuclear imagination. The people look at the church and just, I don't know, I don't believe it. But you couldn't help believe it here because something was very different. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Here's your notes. If you've got your app open, here's your first notes. The church, the church has always had a response to distortion, and that's to bring a refocused devotion to spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. When the world goes crazy, the church goes, wait a minute. And we zero in on our focus and say, this is what the word of God says. This is what Jesus asked of us. This is how Paul instructed us. And we bring this line by line. But right now, it's kind of anything goes. It is so wonky in the world today. And I, and I, I, I pause. I love the church. I love her. She is the bride of Christ. And I am not about to malign Jesus' wife. <laughs> Can you imagine? And I've heard Christians going, yeah, I've heard, this is the conversation. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, I, I like Jesus, I just don't like his wife. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone, you, any of you were married, if someone said, yeah, I like you, but can you leave your wife at home? Can you leave your husband home? I don't mind hanging out with you. And so the world says, I love Jesus. I just don't like them. And I go, why? Why is that? What's happened? Because they don't like themselves. My, my take on it is they don't even like themselves. And with all those distractions of look here, listen to this. I, I said it last week. We need to hear the Lord say this. God is saying this. I see you. I hear you. Hey, you're not alone. I understand what you're going through. I have gone through all of that. A couple years ago, I had a moment where I was, I was being a whiny baby. I was throwing my tantrum in front of God. Running, People are lying about me. It was during the pandemic and political craziness and racial stuff. It was just, I was being called a racist and a, it was crazy, right? And I went to the Lord, <laughs> I'm throwing my tantrum, right? Lord, they're lying about me. People have betrayed me. People are abandoning me. And Jesus goes, uh-huh. 
Oh, yeah, right. The sanctuary has been on a journey to define itself. It's, it's a constant journey. It's constantly developing. But what we used a long time ago, even, even, before, even before emotionally healthy spirituality, I got a hold of it, we had this picture of a trellis. And I want to bring this to our remembrance today. The trellis. And it starts with saying, okay, if we're going to grow up, we, we put three stakes in the ground. We say that first one is, hey, we got to get to church on Sunday mornings. Average attendance of a Christian in California is 1.5 times a month to church on a Sunday morning. Well, because I got this wedding, and then we got vacation, and we were too tired to get up, and, but I got to church that Sunday. And I think this is one of the things that's missing in, in the church today is Sunday mornings. And then we call this thing community groups, getting together with people at all stages, all ages. And then this other one called growth groups that is more gender-driven, age-driven, slice-of-life-driven. It can be different, but, but, it's, but that, that's what that is, accountability. That helps us grow up. And then to grow wide, we start in January with Thrive, the basics, the foundation. This is what God, has, this is what God put together. And then this is phase two, emotionally healthy spirituality. This is how we grow wide. We grow wide this way. And then coming up this fall is emotionally healthy relationships. It's where this leaves off. So we've just finished this. Come this fall, I'm doing part two. So we've hit all three this year. We're going to continue to do those just as classes that you can participate in. But we are trying to slow down. We're, we're trying to refocus. We're trying to reconsider. Because in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you are not a part of me, you can't do anything. But with me, you will produce much fruit. And that's the goal. Watch this. Here's the words of Jesus. That you would produce fruit that would last. Listen to that. Not fruit that goes bad. Not fruit that is little tiny... No fruit that would last, bear much fruit. Now, this is just a structure. Just, just know that. It's to guard our hearts, to stay in God's presence. How do we pay attention to God? This is just one of the ways, and this is what we've done. Most people don't have a, a conscious plan for their spiritual formation. There's no plan. Well, I, you know, I go to church, I pray before I eat. Is there more? Yes, there's more. The problem is, going back to our culture, our society, our society is a shipwreck. People are in need of rescue. And for many in the church, we're answering with, who cares? I want to share a picture with you, a painting by Mauricio Palacio. I'm just going to leave this up here for a minute for you to consider. What do you see? The culture's a shipwreck. You see yourself? Questions we gotta ask ourselves. What am I doing? 
Why am I doing it? Why, why do I do the things I do? Open up your Bibles. Come with me. Come on. Book of Acts. What I like to call Luke 2, right? So the second book of Luke, right? So it's Acts chapter 2. This is what's formally called the Acts of the Apostles. I like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? So this is Acts, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has arrived as promised. Jesus said, oh, I got something good coming down the pipe. Just hold on, wait for it. But I got something really good for you. And there's this huge turning point in God's movement in history. And it happens right here in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42, the people of God once filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what's going on. Chapter 2, the book of Acts, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These people, this word, they're described as devoted. Devoted to saying no to certain things and yes to what I will call this apprentice lifestyle of devotion. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It's not a quick click like, ooh, like that teaching, ooh, like that quote, ooh, like that Bible verse on social media. That, that's not what following Jesus, you can follow, a, uh, you can be a fan on a Facebook page. This is different. You can see how different it is. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. First, the apostles' teaching. Beloved, God's word. This is what sets the people of God apart. Here are the apostles' teachings. It's right here. We go, we don't have the apostles' teaching anymore. Sure we do. Paul, Peter, John, it's all here. The apostles, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And you know, by the way, there are apostolic teachers today. We need to pay attention. There's some great apostolic teachers out there today. We need to be listening, be devoted to that kind of teaching. Here's the second one, fellowship. Look at this one. The apostles' teaching to fellowship. That, that word, you may have heard it, it's in Greek. It's this great word means koinonia. And this word means having things in common that they share. That's what koinonia means. That's what this word fellowship means. They have this stuff in common and they share it. Fellowship means that Jesus is always personal but never private. Oh, my relationship with Jesus is between me and Jesus. I, I don't share that with anybody. No, we're in fellowship. Let's keep going. Hey, here's one, sharing meals, right? Devoted to the apostles' teaching to fellowship and sharing in meals. This, this is fellowship 2.0. Sharing meals. It's having people over, coming together around the table, hospitality. And then he says this, celebrating communion. That's why, and I've shared this before, that's why we don't have communion here all the time. Because I want you to do it in your house. You won't find it. When you have communion, when you come together at church, on the third Sunday of every month, it says, whenever you do it, I want you to remember me. That's the way Jesus said. And so my encouragement is, do it at home. When you have another family over and they're believers, hey, we're going we're gonna to start dinner before we pray. We're just going to have communion. The casserole is almost done. We're just going to have communion. Here it is, 2 Corinthians. Here's what Paul says. Here's where Jesus first did it in John. 
And we just read a little scripture and we break some bread, pass it around the table, we have a cup. Maybe everybody has their own cup. We can't drink out of everybody's cup, right? All right, whatever. But communion isn't just for here. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how or where that happened, that it's the church's job to have communion. It's just not so. There's, there's, there's no model for it. I don't know where it happened. And let's hit this fourth one, to prayer. <whistles> prayer. And I, and I think prayer comes in three ways, right? You got the apostles teaching, you got fellowship, you got sharing meals and communion, and prayer. Prayer is talking to God, listening to God, and being with God. Talking to God, listening to God, and being with God. And I think we need all three. So many people think prayer is, oh God, I need this and I need that and I want this and I want that. What happened to the, is there anything you want from me? Is there anything you need from me? What we understand when John the Baptist, over here, he says, I got to decrease, he's got to increase. Is there anything you need from me? See, we're always busy with God. I need, I need, I need. And God's going, um, I have a couple of needs too. You want to put that aside, please? That's, that's really stopping your growth. That's stopping your maturity. I'd like some things too. And then just plain old being with God. I keep pointing it out. Silence, solitude. Let's stop. Let's be quiet. We have exchanged in the kingdom. We, we exchange our, our broken dysfunctions of our life, the broken dysfunctions of our family of origin, the way we learn to do things, how we do life, how we handle conflict. When someone upsets us, when we're angry, our relationships, how do we handle success? We've exchanged that in the kingdom. And we've discovered how we were designed to do all of those things. God says, this is the way you handle success. This is the way you handle failure. This is the way you handle it when you blow it. This is what you do. I go, oh. Now, you may remember a few weeks back, I, con I contrasted a devotional life and a life of devotion. Anybody remember this one? I talked about Daniel, remember? A life of devotion or a devotional life and how Daniel learned from the book of Psalms how to, I meditate on you seven times a day. Anybody, anybody remember? I was a few weeks back, okay? Uh, if you missed that, you pick it up on the podcast, right? But what, what's the result of that kind of devotion? Daniel devoted himself. He had a, he had a life of devotion, not a devotional life. Oh, I did this this morning. Okay, now I put God aside. That's what I do in my living room from 6 to 6.30. No, this was Daniel all day long. What happens when you have that kind of devotion? I'll tell you what happens when a group of people have that kind of devotion. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Let's keep reading. They were devoted to what? Four things. The apostles' teaching, right? Fellowship. Sharing in meals, including communion, Lord's table, and prayer. And what happens when they are devoted to it? Tell me if you like what you hear. Here it comes. A deep sense of awe comes over them all. The apostles perform miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers meet together in one place. They share everything they have. They sell their property, their possessions. They share the money with those who are in need. They worship together at the Lord's table each day. They meet in homes for Lord's Supper. Remember I told you that. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying, watch this, 
Here it is. People who are devoted to the things we just talked about, they enjoy the goodwill of all the people. When was the last time you heard any of all the people going, the church, isn't it great? The people who don't go to church look at the church and go, where would we be if, there, if that church didn't exist? Beloved, it's a question I ask myself on a regular basis. If the sanctuary closes its doors right now, what happens to this community? What happens to Valley View Elementary if we don't exist? And those hundred plus backpacks that went up there. What happens if the sanctuary closes its door and our food pantry is not open? What happens if the sanctuary closes its doors and we are not taking care of foster kids at Golden Valley High School? What happens? I'm trying to make it impossible. Beloved, hear me. I want the community to go, no, you cannot shut down. We need you. I want the community to look at the sanctuary and go, oh, no, we need the sanctuary in Canyon Country. We've got to have the sanctuary. Well, we've got to close down. We don't have any more money. We, we can't keep doing what we're doing. No, we'll, we, whatever it takes, we need you to stay open. Did you hear it? Enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Watch this. It ends right here. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Beloved, this is what happens when people are devoted. When people have a life of devotion and not a check-the-box devotional life. Right there. These people were devoted to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. This, right here, this, this, this is what happens when the seed of the Holy Spirit is planted and the Holy Spirit takes root. The Holy Spirit took root in chapter, 40, in chapter 2, verse 42, and the fruit of the root is 43 through 47. That's the fruit that comes out of that. When the Holy Spirit comes in and we begin to live a devoted life, this is what happens. If you're filling in the blanks, here's one. We've got to be weaned from the world and our old ways. Something's got to happen. We, we can't keep acting like we're in college or wishing we were in college or whatever we did in our young adult years. We've got to stop acting like that. We have to be weaned from the world and our ways if we're ever going to live out this faith called Christianity being followers of Christ, being apprentices. I'm an apprentice. Show me how to do it. That's what our apprentice is. Show me how to live this life. And Jesus goes, watch, here's how you treat people who mistreat you. Hey, watch this. This is the way you treat sick people. Hey, watch this. This is the way you treat people who have betrayed you. Hey, watch this. This is the way you treat people who use you. And so he tells us these stories like the prodigal son. He tells us these stories like the good Samaritan. He goes, I'm, I'm going to show you how you do this. You're an apprentice. Let me show you how. This is how you do it. When someone mistreats you, you do this. When someone lies about you, you do this. I'm like, I don't want to be your apprentice anymore. Did, was that my outside voice? Right? Because I'm like, wow, oh, that's hard. But here it is. We've got the Holy Spirit. Beloved, we aren't slaves in Egypt. I have said this and I'll say it again. We are in captivity. This is not my home. This is not our home. We are in exile. I am going home one day. I am going home. This is not my home. 
and I'm not buying into this system. We, we, are going, we are going home. But thankfully, we've been given these instructions. This is how we're to live until we go home. Jeremiah says, hey, while you're in exile, make sure you pray and you work for the prosperity of the place that you're at because its prosperity determines your prosperity. I'm not paying my taxes. I'm finding every loophole so I don't have to pay taxes. Wait, what? No, work for the prosperity of the place that you're at because its prosperity determines yours. We have these instructions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know there's a little secret that I haven't let you in on, but I'm going to let you in on it right now. This is the book. This is the workbook. If you're going, Pastor Mario, this thing's kicking my tuchus. I just, how, how do I work it out? What do I do? What's, what, give me some steps. Ta-da! I'm still on chapter four. Great, you can start using this. Beloved, I, I want to encourage you. It's a workbook. And I, I used this phrase last week and the week before. The hard work of discipleship. We've, we've got to get into the hard work of discipleship. And by the way, I'm going to need leaders to lead small groups. Do you want to lead a small group? Has this thing got you? Have, have you heard something in most healthy spirituality? You go, okay, all right, let's go. I'm ready. How'd you like to lead a group of people just reading this book together? I'm looking for small groups, so just be aware of that one. Come over here to the book of Psalms, please. Come on. Here we go. I'm going to finish up here in the book of Psalms. Psalms 27. Psalm 27. David wrote this psalm. The Old Testament, this is in the Old Testament, this is poetry and wisdom, right? Psalm 27. Verse 4. In fact, uh, for those of you who don't have your Bible with you, uh, I encourage you to bring your Bible next week. Yeah, whoever just said that, I agree. Yes, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Bring your Bible. Man. Open book test, people. Open book test. Okay. Verse 4. Let's read this together. Let's read this together. Ready? Here we go. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. That, that. See, this, this, requires, this requires resetting our entire lives, like resetting a clock. Can you imagine, listen to how silly this is. I live here in L.A., and like the rest of everybody in California, I moved to Nashville. Uh, I moved to, you know, somewhere over there, Georgia, uh, where I don't know where. Okay, so watch this. So I move out of California, and I move to the East Coast, and I keep my time on L.A. time. Oh, 4 o'clock. Actually, it's not 4 o'clock. Yeah, it is. This resets our life. When I pray this prayer every day, I'm like, according to your timing, I'm, I'm aligned in the right time frame, in the right time zone. This is a time zone. This kind of prayer is what keeps God at the center of our life. This is all I want. Do you hear it? It's all I want. In addition to that really cool car and that house and that job and that retirement account. And 
This is a new way of being. That even in the depths of this murky heart, I can still live in the presence of God. Even in the midst of, what am I doing? God is with me. Everybody has a trellis. Our families have a trellis like our trellis. Why we do what we do and how we grow. Our work has a trellis. Every congregation has a trellis for the rules of life together. This is how we live together. Everybody has one. I've created for us a sheet of possibilities. You'll have this one when you get out of here. Sheet of possibilities. I have taken chapter 8, which is what we're reading this week, and I've summarized it right here for you. So it's foldable in your Bible. So this, ushers will have this for you when you leave this morning. It's to create a rule of life. That's where we're going. So how am I going to live this out? How do I live it out? Chapter 8 gets into it. I've summarized it for you, but I want you to read chapter 8, right? It's, it's about building open spaces in our lives, living with a purposed margin instead of filling every empty space. Oh, look, we have empty space. Let's do something there. Let's do something there. Let's do. And there's no room for anything. No room for God. No room for someone beat up, naked, and left for dead on the side of the road. Rule of life. I've also included in here something that will throw you, throw you completely for a loop. It's Jesus, the Jesus prayer in 12 different versions. Because everybody's used to hallowed be thy name. <laughs> and, when you, and when you read it in American English, you go, oh, that's what hallowed means? So I have 12 different versions on here. Uh, the Passion Translation, English Standard Version, American Standard, the Message, New Century, Common English. And, and this is what I did. I read this one for a week, and then I read this one for a week, and then I read this every day for a week, and then I read this one for a week, and then I read this one, and I just got a different take on it. I was like, okay. Those, this paper's two sides. You get to decide how you want to fold that for your Bible, right? Because it can go that way or that way. Yeah, the prayer of Jesus or, okay. The sanctuary rules here start with being a sanctuary. So, so you know, this is why we do what we do. The Lord has called us to be a city of refuge. A city of refuge for the broken, the burned out, and the bedraggled believer who goes, I can't do it anymore. We believe in small groups. We believe they make a big difference. That's part of the trellis. You saw it. We're trying to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. That's what we're doing in our, in our small groups. We want to be intergenerational at every stage and every, every age. We want, we want to do that. We're leaning into this contemplative Christianity. We are slowing down. I'm using the word, would I consider that? Uh, consider. Let me think about that. I'm talking about silence and solitude. <gasps> he keeps bringing that up every week. Why does he keep bringing that up, right? And here's the most, most important thing. We're passionate for the Abba of Jesus. We are passionate about the Abba of Jesus and worshiping him and him alone. We're going to go into worship. Normally, we would go into a time of, of just conversation. But I want to go directly into worship this morning. I want to go directly into worship because with what I just brought to you, you now have to consider that. But rather than consider it with me and my poor communication, right? I, I wish I was a better communicator. Rather than consider it with me, would you take this mess that I've presented and take that to the Lord? Say, Lord, so what's me? What do I got to own? Where, where do I come into all of this? What do I do now? What's the next for me?
So as we go into worship, again, rather than have this moment of conversation, I'd like you to have that conversation with God. Do I have a devotional life? Check the box. Or do I have a life of devotion? Could all of my coworkers and my boss, if we were in a court, could I be convicted of being an apprentice of Jesus by my coworkers? Do they even know that I have deep-seated convictions that are about following Jesus? These are the questions we ask. Am I devoted? Am I living in as an apprentice? Acts chapter 2, one verse, verse 42. Just ask. Hmm. Father, I want to thank you for a moment today. This moment here, this moment now, I ask in Jesus' name, you continue to watch over us. I pray, Father, that as we go and we worship you in spirit and in truth, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Fear involves punishment. Listen, God doesn't want to punish anybody. Listen to me. God, God, it says he is slow in doing that. He's giving everybody an opportunity It's his kindness that leads to repentance. Do you hear that? It's not the threat. God's going to get me. I better repent. No, it's his kindness. So, Father, we consider that this morning in this worship time. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, let it be done.